0: Well, today we're going to be looking at one of the most commonly twisted scriptures around, and you just saw it up on the screen behind me, and it's from Luke chapter 11, it's also in Matthew 6, but we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 11, it says, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you, for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. That's the verse that we're gonna be untwisting today. So if you would open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 11, which is page 869 in the Pew Bibles in front of you, page 869, we are going to be learning what this verse really means. And as you're turning there, I'm going to pray. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity to dive into your word and to understand what you are teaching us. Lord, I yield myself to you now that you would be totally in control, Lord, my tongue, my mind, my heart, every part of me, Lord, that you would speak through me and I ask your spirit to empower me now, Lord, and that you would also prepare our hearts to be encouraged and to receive this truth. Lord, we pray that you would be glorified through this and that the name of Jesus Christ would be lifted high. And it's in his name that we pray, amen. Now this is is actually going to be a pretty straightforward sermon here today. Um, It's going to be pretty simple. We're going to first look at how this scripture gets twisted, and then we're going to straighten it out. And there's two parts to the straightening out. So, really straightforward, two-point sermon with two sub-points. So, point number one, how are these verses twisted up? How do they get misused? Now, if you've been attending Cornerstone for any amount of time, longer than just a visit, and those of you who are visiting here today, well, you're going to find out that we are not adherents to what is very commonly referred to as prosperity theology or the health and wealth gospel and different um, amalgamations of that theology. It's, it's basically a theological viewpoint that believes that material and financial blessing is the highest will of God for his people, that he wants his people to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. And it teaches that so long as you have enough faith and you live a godly life and you donate very generously to the church, that God will bless you and he will give you good health and abundant material possessions and you won't ever experience any hardship in your life. All you have to do is ask God in faith for those things and he'll give them to you. Now there are of course nuances to that but that's basically what it is you just name it in faith and claim it and it's yours that's prosperity theology and now the people the people who believe this it's a sincerely held belief they didn't just make it up it doesn't just come out of nowhere they based it on a certain reading of scripture and they took various verses and they use them to create this theology. And this passage that we're going to be untwisting today in Luke chapter 11 is one of those verses. They take um, Luke 11, 9 and 10, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and it will be open to you. And they couple that very typically with Matthew twenty one twenty two, which says, and whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive, if you have faith. They take that verse, which is another very commonly twisted and misused verse. Unfortunately, we're not gonna be able to untwist and unpack that one in this series. But they put it together and they come up with prosperity theology. So basically, they see this verse as a proof text for the whole idea that I can just name it and claim it. So if I see a, a, a sweet new ride or a shiny Rolex, if I just ask God, it will be given to me. If I'm tired of being lonely, and I just need to just seek a relationship, and God will give me the man or woman of my dreams. And if I don't like my job anymore, I just go and knock on Jesus, the career builder, and he'll give me a brand new career, because I'm knocking and seeking that, and it's probably going to be better than the last one I had, paying me lots more money. Now, these examples, examples, they're all kind of intentionally over the top, but they're meant to illustrate the thinking behind this theology. If I just have enough faith, if I'm obedient and I'm generous, then God will be generous with me, and I'll have no hardship in my life. The problem is that it's not what the Bible teaches. Um, (laughs) Jesus said, and um, we, we talked about it, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. He said elsewhere, in this world you will have trouble, but take our, I have overcome the world. The followers of Jesus should expect difficult times, but the good news is that we have Jesus and Jesus. The Lord does love to bless his children. The problem is with this verse, what happens, how they, how they twist this is they make this verse all about how God interacts with us. That's, that's how they interpret this verse, as how God interacts with us if we just come to him obediently and in faith. They make it a promise that God will respond favorably to us with whatever we ask in faith, as if Jesus is making a promise that God will always, always bless us the way we want to be blessed when we just faithfully seek him and ask for something. The thing that makes this tricky, and this is tricky, is the fact that God does love to give good, give good gifts to his children. We're gonna see that a little later on in this passage. But the key is that this isn't about him giving those gifts. That's not what Jesus is teaching, even though he is a good giver of gifts. He is our heavenly father from from whom all good things flow. But but God is not a heavenly genie sitting on his celestial throne that we just rub any time we want something and then all of a sudden our wish comes true. That's just not how God works. But, but if the point of these verses isn't God answering our prayers, if, if the verses aren't about how God interacts with us, then what are they about? And so let's move to point two, where we are now going to straighten these verses out and learn what Jesus is really teaching here. Now, in order to understand verses 9 and 10, which are our key verses, we've got to go back to verse 1, the very beginning of this passage. I hope that you're learning by now that context is critical when you're studying the word of God. You can't just pick a text out of of the center of a passage and think, oh, I know what this means. We need to look at the whole context of a passage. And when we go back to verse 1, we see that this passage, first and foremost, is about how we approach God. Not about how God responds to us, it's about how we are to approach God. We've got to get the direction straight here. It's not from heaven downward, it's from earth upward and outward, because God is everywhere at all times. Look at verse one, let's read it together. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. So what's Jesus doing? He's praying, which is something he did all the time. And when he gets done praying, one of his disciples comes up to him and says, Lord, teach us to pray like you pray. Teach us to pray. We want to interact with God the same way that you do. So right there, this is setting the stage. This is setting the tone for the rest of the teaching in this passage. It's showing us how we are to interact with God. So the first thing that Christ does is give them an example of what they should pray for, which we're going to come back to shortly. And then he tells them a parable that teaches them the attitude that they should have in their prayers, how they should persist in their prayers. So there's two key things that Christ teaches them about how they should pray. First, their attitude in prayer, and secondly, their ambitions in prayer. Their attitude in prayer and their ambitions in prayer. And so first we're gonna look at their attitude in prayer, and we're gonna skip down to verse five. So read along with me in verse five. And he said to them, Or translated otherwise, persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs, whatever he needs. Now, it's very helpful for us to understand a little of the cultural background and context, so this parable makes sense to us. First of all, it's important that we know that hospitality was kind of a sacred duty in the ancient Near East you were expected to extend hospitality to any visitors who came on by. And that meant that when they stopped at your house, you were expected to lodge them and you were expected to feed them. It was just a cultural norm that you were expected to do. And most of the time, oftentimes, people traveled at night after the sun went down, out of the heat. So it wasn't out of the ordinary at all that he would get a visitor at midnight because that's when people traveled. So this visitor shows up at his door and he is expected to extend hospitality to him, lodging and food. The only problem is I got no bread. Now bread was the staple for all of their meals. It was included in every single meal, and it wasn't just something that they ate, but the bread was also basically their utensil. It was their spoon, fork, and knife. They used the bread for eating all of the other food. You couldn't eat a meal without bread because they use it to, to sop up everything, and they used it to kind of you know, parse out each of the parts of their meal. So if you had no bread, even if you had other stuff to serve, you couldn't serve it because you needed the bread to eat the other stuff with. So you see the jam that this guy's in. Jesus is making the point that this guy is up a creek. He cannot fulfill his responsibility, his cultural duty to extend hospitality. So he's in a bind, what's he gonna do? Either I'm gonna fail at my duty to be hospitable or I'm going to go and annoy my neighbor a little bit in the middle of the night. Now, thankfully, Jesus said that this guy, his neighbor, is his friend. He uses that word, friend, someone who I have affection towards. It's the, the philia kind of brotherly friendship. It's based on that word. And so he goes to his friend and decides, I'm going to be hospitable. I've got to go and get some bread. And he goes and he knocks, and his buddy who would have been asleep since the sun went down, They didn't have electricity, They didn't burn fires indoors because that's a good way to burn your house down. So basically when the sun went down, you went down. And most of the time you lived in a one room home because people weren't wealthy enough to afford anything else. And so you had a little mat that your whole family slept on and you stayed close together because that's how you kept warm. And so when the door, is knocked upon, this guy's whole family wakes up and he's pretty annoyed. You can probably put yourself in his shoes and imagine that. Who is knocking at my door? Oh my goodness. And it's this neighbor asking for bread. And so naturally he doesn't take very kindly to this, but Jesus says that he ends up grudgingly giving his frantic neighbor the bread anyway because of what Jesus calls his impudence. Now, if we're to understand asking, seeking, and knocking as being about how God interacts with us, because that's how this verse is twisted. They make it about how God interacts with us. Then who is this parable about? Then this parable is actually about the neighbor who grudgingly gave the bread, isn't it? That's how we would have to interpret that parable. And we would see God as someone who we can just pester and then he will grudgingly give us what we want because he doesn't want to be bothered anymore. Just kind of some heavenly curmudgeon who we can just annoy the crap out of and I can say that, right? That's not, we can bug the heck out, that's probably not good either. We can really just annoy a lot and then he'll give us what we want. But that's not what this parable is about. God doesn't grudgingly answer our prayers. The purpose of the parable isn't to highlight the fact that the bread was given, that's not the purpose of the parable. The purpose of the parable is to show that the bread was asked for in the first place. This guy had some chutzpah to ask for this bread, okay? I am very blessed to have four children. And if any of you have kids of your own, maybe they're grown, maybe they're still young, and even if you don't have children, you were a child once, so you know what I'm going to say, kids know how to ask for things, right? They just ask, and they ask, and they ask, and they ask. You better not say maybe, do not say maybe, do not say I'll think about it especially don't say, let me talk to mom or dad. And Lord help you if you don't say anything and you just remain silent. Because they ask and they ask and they ask and they pester. And even sometimes when you say no, it's like they're deaf for a second and then they keep on asking. Hey dad, dad, can I just, you know, just, dad, just please, can I have, can can I go, can I, can I do, can I just stay, one more episode, just, just, come on. No. Dad, come on, just, can I have, right, this is how kids are. And this is how we were when we were children, isn't it? I mean, that's how I was. That's probably where my kids get it from. So we all know how to be persistent. We all know how to be Impudent in our asking. Jesus is making the point that this persistence, which we've done when we were children to our parents, is how we should approach our Heavenly Father. This is the attitude that we should have as we go to God, that we are constantly persisting in our prayers to Him. This Greek word, for impudence. It's only used here in Scripture. It's the only place you'll find it. And it refers to someone who persistently acts without any sensibility to shame, disgrace, or social convention. They don't care if they're gonna make you awkward. They're gonna they're gonna ask. They don't care if you think that they shouldn't ask the question. They're going for it. They are just shamelessly. Audacious. They are just presumptuously bold. They just go for it. What Jesus is teaching is that that is the attitude that we should have as we go to God in prayer. We should shamelessly and persistently and boldly ask Him for the things that He has promised us, for the things that He says, I will give to my children. And this is hard. This is really hard because. Our culture, especially our church culture, but even our culture at large, there's this like whole thing that says like don't ask. Don't be impolite. Don't do that. Stop asking, you've asked once, that's enough. Right, it's something that is just not accepted culturally. And Jesus is like saying, forget that. Talk to your heavenly father just like you did when you were a little kid, talking to your parents. And this is why he goes right into the very commonly twisted verses nine and 10. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. To you, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. This isn't a promise about God answering our prayers if we just pester him with enough faith. This is about knowing that our God is so much better than anyone or anything else, that if this neighbor who was a jerk would give this guy bread, How much more will God give to us when we come to him and ask him for what he's promised to give us? Prayer isn't a way of getting God to do what we want or of persuading him to do something that he didn't want to do. Prayer is an audaciously bold request to God for him to do what he has already promised to do and what he delights in doing if we would just ask. There's a, there's a fun little story told of a guy who went up to heaven and he was getting a tour of heaven. And he was taken around to all these different rooms and he gets to this room and the angel who's giving him the tour just kind of skips it and he says, ah, oh, you don't wanna go in there. And he's like, no, no, what, what, what's in there? What is in this room? I want to see it. And so he opens up the door and there's just, un, there's just wrapped presents as far as the eye could see. And the guy goes, why are all of these presents here? What is this? And the angel looks at him and he says, these are all the gifts that God wanted to give to his children, but they were never asked for. And he closed the door, and they continued on. You know, James chapter 4 says, you do not have because you do not ask. Context there is important. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Now, we're going to talk about our motivation for asking Next week, Pastor Tim Van is going to unpack that as we look at our desires and our motives for asking. Not talking about that today. But the key here is that we are not afraid to ask. We should shamelessly and boldly go to our Heavenly Father. And in case you're still not convinced of that, well, if you look at the Greek, the grammar of verses 9 and 10, it's in the continuous present tense, which means all of these things ask, seek, and knock are things that Jesus is telling us to do over and, over and 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 over again without end. And it's a command, it's in the imperative form, meaning that he is commanding his disciples, he's commanding us who are children of God you better ask over and over and over again, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking on the door of our Heavenly Father. And the reason why, the reason why we can have this attitude of impudence is because we know the character of God. We know who God is. And Jesus is, explains it, reminds us of that as he continues on in verse 11. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Obviously, it's ridiculous. No father would do that. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father, give. We can boldly approach God because we know that he is benevolent and full of love for us. We know that he is unlike any other of the gods out there who were capricious and who were angry, and Yahweh is a benevolent, good, and gracious, and loving God who is our, our Father, our Abba Father. Romans 8 says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? We just celebrated communion before. We just, we just remembered the gift that our heavenly Father has already given to this world, that all who would put their faith in Christ might be made right with God, because God knew, God knew that there was absolutely nothing that you or I could do to make ourselves right with God. It's just the reality. Because I'm a dirtbag, and so are you. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> God knows that. He knows that. And so he said, you know what? I've got to do something. I know what I'm going to do, I'm gonna send my son and he's gonna cover their sin. He's gonna take the punishment that they deserve and die in their place and all of those who would trust in him, all of those who would accept him to be their sacrifice, they can spend eternity with me. How's that for a good deal? Free gift of grace. And God didn't just save us through Jesus Christ, but he has promised to continually transform us to be more and more like Christ. And he has invited us into the work that he is doing in the world. He's given us a purpose to live as we wait for Jesus to come back and restore all things. Those are some pretty amazing gifts. And if God has already given us that we should be able to boldly go before his throne and ask him for the other things that he has promised us. There's a story told of Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great, the guy who conquered the known world back in the ancient times, kind of from Greece area. Well, a man who had a tremendous, and as far as I know, this is a true story. A man who had a tremendous debt came to him And he said, oh king, live forever. I have a request of you, O king. Please give me the money to pay for this debt. I cannot pay for it on my own. And Alexander considered the request, and he said, I'll give you the money. Go to my treasurer, tell him that I have decreed that out of the treasury, you shall get the money to pay your debt. And so the man went to the treasurer and talked with him and a little time later, the treasurer came frantically running back to Alexander. And he said, Alexander, do you realize the amount of money that you have have promised to give this man? And Alexander said these words. He said, he has treated me As a king in making the request, and so I shall be a king in granting his request to him. And that's Alexander the Great. How much more will the king of the universe, the one who owns everything forget owning it, he made it, he created everything how much more will he, our heavenly Father, Give the things he has promised to his children when we ask him for them. Jesus is teaching us in this passage that we should have an attitude of shameless persistence when we pray. But secondly, he's also teaching us what we should pray for. And this is pretty important, isn't it? He's teaching us what our ambition should be when we pray, what we should pray for. If we go back to verses two through four, he lays out the very famous Lord's Prayer. The longer version is in Matthew 6, but he lays out the very famous Lord's Prayer where he teaches us that first and foremost, when we pray, what should we do? We should bless our Heavenly Father and lift high his name and honor him and worship him as he alone is worthy of being worshipped. And then secondly, we should ask for his will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven, that his will would be done in all things. And then he says there's three things that you should ask God for. Three things that if we look elsewhere in scripture, he has promised to give to his children. The first one is pray for your food. Pray for the things that you need to survive. He will supply that to you. Pray for food. Secondly, pray for forgiveness. You will find forgiveness in Jesus Christ. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1. And thirdly, he also says pray for forgiveness fortification, its it's the best F I could come up with. Food, freedom, fortification, protection from the enemy, that we would be fortified against the temptation and the attacks of the enemy. These are all things that God has promised to do if we ask him for them, if we seek them, if we knock on his door for them. And in case the Lord's, if the Lord's prayer isn't clear enough, he sums all of this up in verse 13. Let's go back there. When he says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now this is a really big deal, guys. You want to know what our ambition should be when we pray? You wanna know what God will always, 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 always say yes to? As we constantly seek more and more, it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the epitome of all of God's promises. He is the power that provides us with everything we could ever need or want. This is the climax of the entire passage as Jesus is showing the disciples that the greatest gift that anyone could receive is the Holy Spirit because that only comes through faith in Christ. This is why Jesus said, it's better that I should go, John 16, so that the Holy Spirit comes to you. This is the greatest gift there is, and Jesus is saying ask and seek and knock for him all the time, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, because God will pour out the Holy Spirit upon you to fill you to overflowing, and that's just amazing. If you were here last summer, you should remember the sermon series that we did on the Holy Spirit. We dove into all of the different things that the Holy Spirit does. We call it ghost sightings, and you can go online You can go on the app, download the app, and you can listen to them right there, okay? And I just want to give you this, I'm sorry, this is exciting to me because this is so awesome. I just want to tell you, I'm just going to run through this list of things that the Holy Spirit does for us. This is what the Holy Spirit does for us. This is the greatest gift you could ever want, right here. Number one, he saves us. He saves us through spiritual rebirth, cleansing, and adoption. And I put every single one of the scripture references so you know that I'm not making this up, okay? This is is what the Holy Spirit does. Secondly, he convicts us of our sin. He's the one who, who shows us that we're messing up. He teaches us the knowledge of God, and he leads us into the truth about Jesus Christ and about the truth of scripture, he seals us so that we may be confident in our eternal security that there is nothing that can separate us from God. He frees us from slavery to our sins so that we can overcome it. We've, this is Freedom Weekend. You want true freedom? Walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and you will be free. Amen? Come on, let's, let's, let's get this. This is awesome. This is good stuff. He baptizes us and indwells us and fills us and empowers us. And he gives us gifts so that we can do all the work that God is calling us to do. He produces godly fruit within us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You can all say them with me. God does that for us through the power of the Holy Spirit. He pours God's love into our hearts. You want to know how to love more? Ask for the Holy Spirit. He will pour God's love into your heart. You will feel so amazingly loved by God, and that love will overflow from you to all of those around you. He comforts us. How many of you all need some comfort sometimes? As we go through crap, I said it again, darn. We go through tough times. the Holy Spirit who is our comforter. He just like that amazing snuggie that just wraps around you everywhere. It's just, you know? And he helps us through our times of trouble. And he gives us hope. He gives us hope that no matter what we may be facing, we can have hope that the Holy Spirit pours into us. There is no greater gift than the Holy Spirit. This is why we should ask over and over for more and more of the Spirit. He indwells us, we should ask for Him to fill us to overflowing. This is the gift that the Lord will always say yes to. God will always give us the things He has promised, and we should shamelessly and boldly ask Him to fill us with His Spirit every day. Well, you know, you know what? It's okay to ask for a new car, for a Rolex watch. Go ahead, ask him for it. But he hasn't promised to say yes to that request. So be prepared for a no when it comes. <laughs> All right? But ask him for the Holy Spirit, and that's coming. That's a guarantee. That's how it works. So this isn't a promise that God will give us everything that we ask for. Crazy car, crazy car. the Rolex watch. This is about us boldly and shamelessly going to God over and over and over and asking him for the things he has promised us, especially the Holy Spirit. As we continue to trust that the one who has already given us his son, who has already adopted us into his family, will delight to give the good gift of the holy spirit to those of us as we boldly ask him let's be children of god who boldly and shamelessly just like we were kids when we were little and just like our kids do now just dad more holy spirit please just more come on just a little more just 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 come on just yeah that's yeah not no keep keep going more 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 he will say yes because the holy spirit is the illest gift we could ever receive. (laughs) Amen?